I tell people I laugh when I'm generally unaware of what's going on. <laughs> so I laugh a lot. <laughs> anyway, it is, it is great to be at Prairie and uh, really feel God's call upon our lives to land here. Um, lived in Texas for the last six years working at a university there. And uh, my work visa expired. And I said, there cannot be 11 million and two illegal immigrants in the United States, so I guess we'll come back to Canada. And uh, we had lived in Edmonton before we went to Texas, and it was a great joy to come back to Alberta, great province to be in, and great to be with you all and to journey along with you. Um, I was in church ministry for uh, 25 years, and then I started at a university, and I realized that uh, I was kind of looking at students with pastoral eyes and not really with academic eyes, and so that was a bit of a transition for me. But let me tell you that uh, coming to Prairie is a good combination of both of those things, which is more comfortable for me, to look at uh, the journey that we do together uh, pastorally. Um, but also academically because we, we pursue knowledge and because God has revealed Himself to us. And so it's incumbent upon us as followers of Christ uh, to learn more about Him. And that's what you're doing too. So you're taking Old Testament courses, New Testament courses, and I don't know if in the, in the Old Testament if you've got to the part in Judges where you're talking about uh, Gideon, but you've probably heard the name Gideon before. He's the guy that put the fleece out. And if you know the story, you've probably put a fleece out yourself. I'm going to look through the window. If the next car that goes by is red, then I will know that God wants me to. And then you uh, fill in the blank. But Gideon's the guy that put the fleece out, and he said, you know, first, if, it's, if the fleece is wet and everything else is dry, then I know, God, that you want me to do what you've asked me to do. So, that happens. Not enough for Gideon. God, how about the reverse? And so, fleece dry, everything else wet. Then I'll know. Well, how many times do you need to do this? Well, this is not the first time that Gideon has done this, set a, wanting a sign from God. And so in Judges chapter 6, we see that, uh, and this is true throughout the book of Judges, Israel doesn't do what they're supposed to do, and so God uh, gives them over to a path of punishment in order to bring them back to Himself, raises up a judge, and they return back to God. And so uh, in Judges chapter 6, we see this occurring and we hear that Israel doesn't obey God. The Midianites come against Israel. And so then the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And I'm going to start in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 17. And the angel comes to Gideon and he says, You're the guy. You're going to be the one to lead Israel out of all the difficulties that you're having with the Midianites. And so the Midianites were these, was this marauding group of people that Israel would plant crops and they'd have livestock 
And then the Midianites would come and eat it all up. And so the Bible says Israel was left without sustenance. Sustenance. Goodness. That's a little severe. And so Gideon is in the wine press. He's threshing grain. Not the place or implement for threshing grain, but there he is. He's visited by the angel of the Lord. The angel tells Gideon that Gideon is going to lead the people out of bondage uh, from the Midianites. Gideon is a bit incredulous that me... I'm, I'm the guy. And the angel of the Lord says, I will be with you. You're going to strike the Midianites just like, uh, like it's one man. And so in the beginning of a pattern of behavior, Gideon asks for a sign. So I'm going to start reading in verse 17. And he, meaning Gideon, said to him, meaning the angel of the Lord, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that... It is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay and you return. So, what is the sign he's asked for? Stick around. I'm going to come back with something. If you're still here, then that'll be the sign. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth, which is a kind of tree, and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached, up, uh, reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes." And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. How insightful. <laughs> I don't know about you. Got some meat, made some cakes, put them on a rock, touches it, boom, fire, boom, he's gone. Oh, that must have been something. Um, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So now he's worried. Okay? I've seen God face to face. Death is coming my way. So, because who can see God and live? But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day... It still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizirites, which is not how you say that, but nevertheless. So, uh, today we're going to take a look at Jehovah Shalom, that God is peace. And so, uh, last week, Prairie uh, put this up on the Facebook page. Maybe you've seen it. Commenting that it's coming to the end of the second term, Christmas break, students are going to be in the midst of term papers, and so there's a little bit of stress just managing its way around campus. Just a bit. So then they put up this Bible verse. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So obviously there must be some connection between assignments, exams, and the need for peace. 
cause and effect, maybe. You have ex exams and assignments. Oh, I need peace. Sounds good, doesn't it? You're feeling stressed out because assignments have become due. Now, these assignments are not a surprise to you. <laughs> you probably knew about them ahead of time. The due date wasn't imminent, so there's no perceived advantage, really, of completing them ahead of time. No extra marks, no extra credit, no extra learning. In fact, you have a distinct lack of peace in your life because you have assignments and exams in your life. And things would be rather peaceful if you did not have these things, if they didn't exist in your life. So I was thinking about this, about speaking here in chapel on December the 13th, because in August it sounded like a really good idea. <laughs> and so all of your professors, the ones who have made those assignments and exams, have been in your place. So they know what it's like. In their educational pursuits, it's hard to think that procrastination is the cause of the lack of peace that we're experiencing. But we're not surprised at the lack of peace, especially at this time of year in the semester. We're heading to an end. And so we know things need to be completed at the end. And sometimes the way we think about peace is that as long as we could be removed from the thing that we're experiencing, we would have peace. If I could just get out of it, things would be peaceful. For some of you, the only thing you can think about is if you didn't have to go through this thing ahead of you, then you would have peace. The pressure you feel, the sense of dread perhaps, the feeling in the pit of your, uh, in the pit of your stomach, the sense that is rising up within you that if I would just stop talking and reminding you about the things that you still have not yet done, then you would have peace. But isn't peace more than that? Isn't peace defined? Is it only defined by the removal of things? If you think that peace is defined only by the removal of something, then one strategy of achieving peace would be just to remove and avoid everything in your life that would bring you stress or bring you trouble. But how well does that work? If, is living life a matter of safety, of ease? Is it supposed to be stress-free? Is it supposed to be hassle-free? What kind of life would that look like? Well, I found a documentary online that has a brief segment of what it would look to live a life where your needs were met and everything was provided for you.
So, is that peace? Nothing to worry about? All your needs are met? Never have to lift a finger? Some of you look at that and go, oh, that would not be peaceful for me. <laughs> Just sit in a chair all the time. And really, to be honest about it, if we think about all the papers and exams and stuff, when all those things are removed and they're all done, um, is there going to be peace? Are you going to experience peace? I don't think so. Um, I think that you're going to have... Uh, a sense of relief when things are done. Depending on how well you do, you might have a sense of dread. I'm not sure. Um, but we realize that in certain moments that life itself just comes with uh, a certain amount of unsettledness on a rather consistent basis. So some of you are really looking forward to going home for Christmas because Christmas is a time with family and friends. You're going to renew relationships that you haven't been around uh, for a little bit of time. You're going to connect with people you may have not seen for a few months. There's traditions and events that you're looking forward to that are going to remind you of the upbringing that you've had and of the, just the family that you have. Now, some of you are going to be dreading going home for the Christmas season because you found the routine and the regularity of student life has provided some degree of predictability in your life where you haven't had predictability. And that predictability is going to be something that's lacking when you go home in your life at home, or in your community, or in your high school, perhaps that was something that you were just as glad to leave behind. And you've looked upon your time here to come to Prairie as a time to start over. Nobody knows who you were at home, and so you're able to come and, and start over again. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so, how does the world give peace? Jesus says the way he gives peace is not the way that the world gives peace. So, how does the world give peace? Does it give peace? One way, I think, the way the world gives peace is it does it by force. The person with the larger weapon wins the day and is able to put his will over top of everybody else's. And I think we've seen that. Isn't that the case? Haven't we seen it among nations? Force being used to win some sort of peace. We see it in countries between people groups. We see it in our families. Peace is kept by force, by power. Perhaps you've seen it in the hallway of your dorm. So it doesn't matter what side of the battle you're on, the side with the greater force wins the day. And peace can be bought with the price of force. Now, it's an uneasy peace, and it may be peace wrapped in fear, but peace is evident. It's not a deep peace. There's no sense of weight to the peace that the world gives through force. It's tenuous, it's loose, it's shallow, it's hesitant. And who wants to live in a, a life of peace that is kept by force. It doesn't have the sense of stability that true peace would have. If we think of the presence of peace in a family or relationship, peace that occurs because you're afraid of a particular member of your family, and you, what you try to do is just manage your life and manage family life so that you just keep the peace, is not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Now, peace just doesn't come only by force. 
I believe that the peace the world gives also comes through non-force. I think it's a way of acceptance. It's a way of giving in to the way that things are. It's a way we live our lives, deadening ourselves to what's around us. And so I call that kind of a deadening peace, where we just merely accept what's going on around us and think there's nothing, it's not going to get any better, so I'm just going to live at peace with it. This kind of an acceptance way of thinking about peace. So uh, here's another documentary. You'll find out that I love documentaries. Sorry if you haven't seen that movie and you're kind of freaked out why the guy doesn't have real legs, but uh, um, <laughs> if, you've seen, if you've seen that movie, when they say they're on a time-sensitive mission, and they are, so they've got to get something done, but they go into this room and they eat these lotus cookies and they just want to stay there. So the idea is that they're just going to, they kind of forget about the time sensitivity of what they have to do, and they're just thinking well, we're just supposed to have fun here. It's rather peaceful, but it's not what they're to be doing. I think sometimes we can do that in our lives, that we just accept the way things are, and we just try to drift through life. No big current, just kind of floating. That's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Um... It would be some years ago that uh, and I was in church ministry, and this is a total aside, and I do this often, asides. Um, so a little rabbit trail. I was always surprised at people uh, who wanted to work at a church. Because I'm going, you know, people who work at church are kind of morons a little bit. We have good days and bad days, and it's not, you know, like the perfect work environment. And so, anyway, they want to come work at the church. So, working in church ministry, some things go well, some things don't go well. So, as a joke, one time, when things were not going well, I said, well, that doesn't bother me because I took a vow of apathy. <laughs> so, it was just a joke, right? But if you know me, I'll have a joke, and I'll just wring the life out of it. So, I kept saying it over and over again, you know, how this vow of apathy, ha, 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 Right? So, but what I noticed after a couple of years, I thought, this is not good. This thing has taken root in me, and it was a problem. Because to be apathetic, you know, a vow of apathy, like I just don't care, and that was the way that I was dealing with disappointment and things that didn't work out the way that I thought they should, I thought, this is not good. I might as well have been chowing down lotus cookies, right? Because I just, eh, whatever. So it ended up being something I had to repent of because I felt this is not heading me in a good direction. So the peace that the world gives is either through force or it's through acceptance. And this is not the, the kind of peace that Jesus is, is talking about. So what kind of life did Jesus talk about that would be true for people who decide to follow him? What did Jesus have to say about the decision it was to follow him? So let me read some scripture to you. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into burns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and is thrown into the oven, well, how much will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In John chapter 6, after... Jesus talking about himself being the bread of life. In verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take... His cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 19. And behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter a life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Decision to follow Christ is not a path of ease. It's not a forced peace where authority is used as a big stick. It's not a peace where there are no bumps or ditches in the Christian life. It's not necessarily a rosy picture. When Gideon said that Jehovah Shalom, that God is a God of peace, he was in the midst of trouble. We will have trouble in life, and yet we have a God who has given us His Son who has overcome the world. Peace is not the absence of conflict. The peace of Christ is in the midst of conflict. The peace that God gives us is a peace that comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are looking for peace, 
You need to look to Jesus. It comes through a relationship. The peace that Jesus gives is the peace that settles things. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. It is frightening to think that I've been a Christian for 40 years. I'm 52. I hated turning 50. I thought, game over. I'm an old man now. I'm in my 50s. Anyway, I digress. When I, I remember this, uh, when I became a Christian at 12 years of age, I just had a, a sense of settledness, a sense that everything was right, that everything was as it should be. And I think what I didn't understand at the time now, but as I reflect on it now, I think that was a sense of peace. That uh, my relationship with God was good. And that His peace came into my life. So as we age in our Christian walk, we find ourselves in situations where our sense of peace is not evident. But the relationship we have with God is where we will see evidence of the peace that God provides. Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And just before that, he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the team's going to come. We're going to sing a song about God with us. Over this whole semester, we've talked about who God is. Last week, Emmanuel, God is here, God with us. This is the God who gives us peace. So as they come, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just listen to these words from Colossians chapter 3. Listen to these words. If you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Our God is with us. <laughs>